Hey, hello, and welcome to another episode of Corkscrew Convos. Greetings to you from wherever you may be listening this evening, this morning, this afternoon. Maybe you're working out. We don't know what you're doing, but we're happy to be here, ready to talk coasters, ready to talk the amusement industry. But before we do that, we're going to roll and run through our disclaimer, and we'll be ready to start. As always, I'm DJ. And I'm Chris. Now, here's that disclaimer he was talking about. The views, opinions, and information expressed during the following presentation are solely those of the individuals involved and do not represent organizations affiliated with those individuals. I think I'm going to get that tattooed on me. The whole (laughs) disclaimer, right on the back shoulder. I mean, it's a handy thing to have, just in case. (laughs) Just in case. It's crazy, though. Uh, It's already November. I think our last podcast we were talking about what we were going to do for Halloween. No, we've had one since then. Is it already November, DJ? It is. It really is. It's it's November. It's the beginning of November. Um, that means that big switch over for parks that are fortunate enough to be open right now. Uh, for a lot of people, the holidays are here. At least every commercial I've seen on every football game today, yeah. even before that, even last week, I guess, was November 1st. That's when I first started seeing the commercials. Well, I don't know about November, but it's getting dark so early now. It feels like it's 530 and it's already dark. And there's not parks with Christmas events to light up the night. So what's the point of all this darkness? That's what I'm wondering. You were talking about that um, last time we were we were together, and I, I remember that. But I'm actually a fan of it. I, I enjoy it getting dark outside, but it's really depressing. I'm getting ready to move out of, out of uh, our apartment here, and I, I don't have any Christmas lights up, no holiday lights, because I'm moving here in like four days, so... But it's all worth it because you're going to be getting that sick podcasting basement. <laughs> yes, I am. And sick Christmas lights on the home. It's going to look great. That's actually, it's so corny. I'm, I'm look, looking so much forward to being able to put hol- holiday lights on a home. Yeah, and maybe you'll have enough space to get a smoker too so you can be like me. <laughs> well, I did the instant pot this evening. Is it also, real quick, is, is it a UK thing that they're, they're called fairy lights? Fairy lights. Uh, you talking about Christmas lights? Yeah. Christmas well, lights, holiday lights, electric a... lights. I don't think I've heard that before. I think it's in... I'm getting that from Planet Coaster. I think they're called fairy lights. But they're actually just Christmas lights, holiday lights, the colored lights. Oh, those British. <laughs> so I don't know. I know the game's made over there, so I was just curious. Well, DJ, speaking of knows. Britain, here's a weird thing. On our Twitter and on our Instagram, by the way, listener, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Corkscrew Convos. But on those sites, we're doing some work. We're putting some things out there. We have a few memes that we've created that I think have made a splash. But we have a substantial British section of our interactions with people on Twitter and Instagram. There's a whole British ecosystem of fandom, and I think we are starting to be a part of it. But here's the thing that's weird. As far as I can see on our podcast analytics, we have never had anyone from the United Kingdom listen to one of our podcast episodes. I thought that was crazy when you told me that. because That just first- blows my mind. At first, I don't think I don't know if it's the way I was reading it, or I'm not sure. But I thought, oh, it's we have UK listeners. That's awesome. And then you told me, no, no, no. This these are just people on social media, but not a single listener. That's that's fascinating. So we need to find a way to activate these people that we interact with on Twitter and Instagram to get them to listen to our podcast, to get to spread the love. Because at the end of the day, that's what we're doing. That's what we should be doing. You know, tell me what you think about this, um, and maybe it's because I'm purging some things. Uh, maybe we could do a giveaway here on a, a future episode of maybe some cool coaster memorabilia one of us has that we might be willing to, to part with. I think I've just got so much. I, I want to keep all of it, but the practicality of that is just slowly diminishing. Are you prepared to ship internationally? Because, <laughs> uh, <laughs> hmm. Otherwise, how are we going to get these UK listeners, which I know that they exist, we're already speaking their language. Sure, we don't talk about their parks as much, but maybe that'll change. Maybe it'll change. You know, got to figure out some 
some some low tactic marketing or something, some hands on marketing there. Uh, if you have a friend, if you're listening at home, and they just happen to list, live in the UK, uh, they could be the very first. So definitely take up yeah, that opportunity. We have people from Australia. We have people from Canada. We have people from the U.S. We even had one listen from Singapore, I'm pretty sure. So we've already gone worldwide. I love Singapore. It's just a matter of entering the British market. That is our goal this week. So let's try to think of British stuff to get them listening. Let's do it. I'm ready to go. Well, speaking of British stuff, let's talk about an American wooden coaster manufacturer. Okay. That, I, I, don't get, I don't get the link there, but... Well, they have a GCI coaster <laughs> in England at Alton oh, Towers. Wickerman. <laughs> so this is relevant to them. This is how we're starting our British outreach. But here's the deal. Great Coasters International, a great company that makes wooden coasters around the world, they have started to do something pretty different with their track. And that is, BJ, they're making it out of metal instead of out of wood. Can you believe that? I actually can. And do you, do you want to know why I can believe that? Go ahead. Give it to me. My most popular post on Reddit was when GCI unveiled this at IAPA in 2019, I believe. What's IAPA? Oh, the International Association of Amusement Parks and Attractions. They do an expo every year. It's one of the largest trade shows in the world. Um, and when I was there in 2019, when I, when I was able to go to that, um, I remember posting a photo of their um, scale model that they did, um, showing that they could now make their wooden roller coasters do inversions and go upside down. Um, it, maybe it wasn't 2019. It might actually have been 2018. It could have been 2018. Um, but I think that's, I had like over a hundred upvotes on that or something. Um, so I can believe that at the time I was kind of, I was blown away. Um, but also, and tell me what you think, Chris, I think the industry had been waiting on that for, for a long time. We know that GCI has expressed that they're capable of making wooden or sort of not wooden coasters that can do inversions and launches. They just need a park to want it. Uh, but in 2018, they did debut the Infinity Flyer trains that can withstand these more active aspects of these larger coasters with inversions and launches, where previously Great Coasters International had offered their other proprietary rolling stock, which was the Millennium Flyer, one of the most comfortable wooden coaster trains out there, in my experience. And that's a good point to bring up, too, because what's also critical on that it's not only the train design, the restraint needed to be able to handle not only going upside down, but uh, hopefully this wouldn't happen, but if the train were to stall itself or to valley in an inversion, um, you'd be able to be kept in there safe and don't have a risk of falling out. All right, so with the Infinity Flyer trains, when I was standing in front of the car and I was looking at it, I'm not an engineer, <laughs> so I couldn't really tell how it was so different from a Millennium Flyer or even a mini Millennium Flyer, which is what they put on their kids' wooden coasters, I couldn't tell what was so different other than the cosmetic aspects of it. A little more metal here, a little harder rubber there. Um, but with 2019, they did bring a section, a whole section of this, what they're calling Titan Track, and I believe they hosted it outside. Is that correct, DJ? Um, I believe so. I think, you know, what's so interesting about this track is that there's no, there's no welding on it. So if you think of yeah. the RMC style, um, every section where that, where that track is connected, there are welds. And I was reading an article about this, and what I didn't even think about is the amount of maintenance and the amount of time it takes to inspect that welding. Um, most of the time, every coaster that you ride, they're inspecting it the morning before you show up. They're inspecting it way after you leave. Um, and so that's interesting um, that they have found this is to be like a niche using this, what looks like a riveting system, which supposedly is way less maintenance. You don't need to inspect it as often. And it's pretty simple. If there's a problem with the rivet, you just take it out, put a new one in. So far, we have already seen this at a wooden coaster in the United States. 
And do you know which one it is? We have White Lightning. Yeah, at Fun Spot in Orlando. I believe it's Fun Spot America that has it now. Yes, it's a it's a great ride. I have not experienced, of course, this this new track type, but um, I, it's really interesting that they they did this here. I don't know if there was maybe an incentive or something. I feel like there had to have been um, because that ride is not exceptionally. You know, you think you see of people talking online about coasters they hate, and if there's a GCI coaster, that one is never brought up to the list. A lot of people really like that ride. Um, so I yeah. wonder if it was either the incentive there or perhaps that expo of, at IAPA I was talking about. That's held in Orlando, so maybe it's easy to just say from anybody in the world, oh, hey, come on over to, to Fun Spot and you can experience the difference in the tracks. Um, it's, I think it's very telling, too, that they didn't do the entire ride. I, I think there mm-hmm. was definitely some calculated decision-making there. There are already so many wooden coasters in the United States alone and around the world that are manufactured, designed, and built by Great Coasters International to be able to have an installation of a GCI coaster that already has this track installed and running to give people that opportunity to experience it in person at something like the Expo, whenever it next is, that seems like shooting fish in a barrel. (laughs) And I wonder, too, like, we talked about this a, a little bit earlier in an earlier podcast, you have so much more ridership in Orlando. Maybe there really is a need for that type of track, and maybe this was like, hey, here's a great thing to try if you would all be interested in it. Uh, I'm sure it, I'm sure it benefited both parties. Um, what I just I just find so interesting that it just seemed like before, you know, before RMC came on the scene, GCI, in my opinion, was really like kind of the futuristic coaster maker, uh, coaster right. manufacturer. Um, yeah, you'd, you'd seen some other, you know, gravity group doing some things with the 90 degree turn and that sort of thing. Um, but GCI was just a whole different experience. So I just thought, you know, I was younger, of course, but I, I thought that's where we would see the first inversion if they ever brought it into modern day again. And it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And maybe they're a little late to the game. That's not a, a bash on them. Um, but maybe the demand is just finally there where they figured out their, their, their sort of place in that market they can do it maybe cheaper they've found the competitive advantage of less inspections i don't know it's it's all very uh, interesting and i i think that they they they're most definitely doing the right thing at this point well before rmc came onto the scene and started redoing these wooden coasters by adding steel track and re-engineering the whole ride layout It was GCI that was doing things like on the Coney Island Cyclone, arguably the most historic coaster out there so far, that they had reprofiled sections of the ride, I believe, in maybe 2011, 2010. And they had been doing things like with larger rides, like Ghost Rider as well, even during what some may call RMC's reign over the industry. So they definitely offer a wide degree of what they can do to an existing wooden coaster as well. And now some people, I've heard them say that Ghost Rider is now in their top 10 of wooden roller coasters after that GCI refresh. It's really good. Have you had the pleasure of riding it since it's been reborn? I've still not had the chance to do any California park. Mm. It is a good wooden coaster. It always has the longest lines in the park. Longer even than hang time in my experience. Would love to experience it, and they do great work. Um, I was able to do the reprofiling uh, experience on um, Timberwolf at Worlds of Fun a couple years. Actually, no, that would have been yeah a couple years ago, maybe maybe last year. But GCI is always leading the way in in, in kind of the traditional coaster maintenance as well. And let's not forget uh, the biggest experiment of all: flying turns at Knobles. <laughs> yeah. An experiment that is uh, still being tinkered with to this day. I think they're adding another lift to the end of it, but it's it looks like such an amazing ride. It's bringing a piece of history back to life, and that's incredible. For folks that don't know what we're talking about, this is a, uh, well, it's a flying turns type coaster. They happen to call it flying turns. This is perhaps what is one of the older coaster technologies. This is a, imagine a half pipe, and it's full of wooden boards. It's very smooth, and the vehicles are similar to a bobsled style coaster where you are rocking back and forth around turns, and you're not necessarily connected to the track. You have some wheels rolling on the trough. Yeah, it's definitely something that I was so happy when it finally opened. 
It had been under construction for years and years, and it looks like the wait was worth it. I haven't been able to ride it yet, but it's something I look forward to. I haven't been to Knobles yet. I would love to go. So, I mean, that being said, they're doing historic work. They're keeping the spirit of the old roller coaster alive. But back to this, this, this Titan track, where's it going to go? Where are we going to see a full installation? Or, better than that, where are we going to see the first sort of GCI remake or redo of an existing ride? Do you think it's going to be an existing GCI coaster, or do you see them doing something else? I already have an answer for you, actually. Okay. It's Predator at Six Flags Darien Lake. Now, if you remember from several years ago, this was a wooden coaster that some may say does not offer the best experience. I personally have not ridden it yet, but some people say that this coaster is rough or maybe not offering the best experience that it could. Let's just say it's a coaster that has a little bit of room for improvement when it comes to the ride experience. Now, Predator, several years ago, they had announced, I believe when it was under different ownership, that it was going to become Lake Monster. It was going to be RMC'd. It was going to have inversions, it was maybe even going to interact with the lake, but those plans ultimately didn't come to fruition. So, fast forward to 2020 and 2021, uh, this coaster is getting some more love, in the form of Titan Track from GCI. They're adding this riveted steel coaster track to this existing wooden coaster. Now, we currently don't know how much work is going to be done on Predator to transform it. We don't know if it's going to be simply adding Titan track to some of the rougher areas that have a little more wear and tear through regular operation, or if they're going to substantially reprofile the ride and make it something different, like with Ghost Rider, where they added... Um, where they reprofiled some of the hills, uh, changed some of the turns a little bit, got rid of the mid-course brake run, and really made it into a superior wooden coaster. We don't know yet exactly what is going to be done to Predator at Six Flags Darien Lake, but it is going to put a lot of love into a ride that definitely has room for improvement. That's, 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 an, that's interesting. That was going to be my next question to you, is how much work do you think is going to happen to it? I feel like, I could be wrong, Predator is one of those rides where, if you look up a video of it on YouTube, everybody hates it. I think it's one of the more infamous, infamous wooden roller coasters out there. I, doing a little bit more research on it, it is a DIN coaster, and DIN coasters are just known to not be good, <laughs> at least <laughs> as time goes on, compared to other manufacturers. Yep. I, like I said, I haven't ridden Predator yet, but I, I believe I've ridden some wooden coaster manufactured by the DIN Corporation. And I don't know about you, but it just seems like wooden coasters designed in the 70s or 80s or even 90s and sometimes, they were big, they moved around, and that was about it. <laughs> like you think about Timberwolf before it got the love that it has now in the form of reprofiling and smoothing it out it was a big coaster it was impressive but it wasn't really a great ride so now with this modern technology with rocky mountain construction and now with great coasters international they're breathing new life into these existing rides and i think that's a great thing so where's the next one going to be at hmm are you asking me to speculate I am asking you to speculate because I, I'm thinking of all... Because my mind goes to, okay, which GCI rides need the most work that already exists, like where they would go back and redo their rides. Um, at the same time, I wonder if there's a little tension there because maybe with these parks where they have rides, they thought, oh, it should last long and be a great smooth ride, and maybe it's not. Again, I don't, I don't know that, um, but just trying to think of uh, maybe some, some rides that they, they already built that aren't the best anymore. They're not what they used to be. I'm thinking of a park that has four wooden coasters, including GCI's first wooden coaster, oh, got and it. a ancient wooden coaster from 1945, I think, maybe 1950, and a dueling, enormous wooden coaster that's really two coasters when you think about it. And do you know the park I'm saying, DJ? 
Wait, no. I thought I did. Hershey Park. Okay, I was going to say that, but for some reason I thought that that the first GCI was not there for some reason. I'm pretty sure Wildcat there was their first GCI. Yeah, that's what I thought as well. Okay. okay I think that Wildcat... Page. It's been a few years since I've ridden it, but that's another wooden coaster that could stand to be improved a little bit. It could do with a little bit of love to improve the rider experience. And I think that we have technology now that could definitely do that on an economical scale with this Titan track. This is replacing wood with steel, which feasibly means that there would be less maintenance down the road. It wouldn't eliminate the maintenance cost or the retracking cost, but it would definitely cut down on it. So I think Wildcat at Hershey Park is another great candidate for this. Sure, maybe they'll put parts of it on Lightning Run, which is the huge dueling coaster that I mentioned. It's already an incredible ride, but if they were to put some of this Titan track on some of the sections of the coaster that have more wear and tear usually, that'd be a great thing. What about you, DJ? What coaster do you think? Will we see you, Titan Track at next? You were thinking Lightning Racer, right? That's the dueler? Yeah. The, the dueling? Okay. Um, hmm. I was thinking, because, because you're right, it is Wildcat. Um, That's the oldest GCI. I was thinking Roar was older, um, but it's actually the second that they've done, and then the Roar clones after that. And that's where my mind went first. Um... I usually it's easier for me to go the other way and think of okay what are some ones that we know they're not going to to do anything to um and I'm trying to think of ones that folks don't enjoy as much or maybe could use some work uh, and it's really hard for me with GCI um I I think of maybe um the the Renegade at Valley Fair perhaps mm, that uh, makes but, sense. Uh, but but I don't hear any hate about that ride at the same time I've always heard that's a great one of their better layouts um obviously we're not going to see it on anything new like Mystic Timbers or Gold Striker. Um, I don't think Thunderhead would be a good fit for that. Um, I'm and I'm, now I'm trying to think of other manufacturers. It would be great to see a ride that I've... Okay, here's, here's my answer. A ride that I think could be a wonderful ride if it had some substantial changes made to it. I think the layout's there, the character's there. I'm going to go with two answers on this. The first would be Grizzly at King's Dominion, which I love that layout. Um, not sure of your thoughts on that, um, but I also love the boss at Six Flags St. Louis. That is a ride that could use substantial love. Um, that's a ride that has a great layout as well. Um, would love to see some work done to it. A lot of folks have been thinking RMC is going to do something to it, but maybe this is a way for them to save some money, Six Flags St. Louis, to save some money and give some love to the boss, make it rewritable for everybody because... Um, now that I'm thinking about it, I think that is the least enjoyable experience on a wooden coaster I've ever had. These two coasters that you mentioned, they're not GCIs. Uh, what trains does Boss run? I know that Grizzly runs PTC trains, which is the most common for wooden coasters. It's these large 80s-looking trains that are a little boxy that are very common for most wooden coasters. What about the Boss? I think Boss. I'm going to fact check myself as I say this. I believe it runs Premier Trains. Oh, that's rare. Um, I And I also believe it started with Gertzlauer, because um, I know Gertzlauer uh, had some involvement there. At least I think they built it, CCI designed it, that sort of thing. Mm. Um, but I believe they switched out the Gertzlauer trains um, for Premier Trains. Well, that's another question I have when it comes to trains. If they add Titan track to certain parts of the track, would that necessitate new trains? Surely they're... Like, we've seen wooden coasters that previously ran things like PTCs or Geschlauer trains, but when GCI, like in the case of Ghost Train... Ghost Rider, sorry, Ghost Rider reprofile that ride and breathe new life into it, they put their standard train on it, which is the Millennium Flyers. I wonder if that is a requirement of rehabbing a ride by adding Titan Trek. 
they also have to switch to this newer train, which is also easier on the track because it can already the trains can articulate through the turns instead of just plow through them like the PTC trains do, uh, because PTC technology has uh, hasn't changed much through the years, but wooden coasters have definitely gotten more and more daring, especially the ones that run modern trains like the Millennium Flyers or the Timberliner trains offered by Gravity Group. Yeah, it's just, I know the last two aren't GCI. I, I think I'm going from, you know, looking at rides that I have been on, which I haven't been on many. I feel like I've been on a fair amount of wooden coasters, um, but just rides that I think, yeah, maybe that could work and it could benefit. But I feel like for GCI, this is an opportunity to even even upsell those trains perhaps, or maybe bundle it and say, well, you know, you're going to, you're going to spend way less money over time also deciding to go with these trains. So yeah, it'll be cheaper up front. Um, but going with our trains, that's designed to ride on this. Not only you're going to have greater guest feedback scores, you're going to save a lot of time and money in the future as well. So all speculative. You sold me on this. <laughs> I'll buy them. <laughs> all speculative, but I, uh, you know, I'm sure both options are there. Um, could also be that, you know, who's to say they can't add those trains later. So plenty yeah. of options. Well, next time I'm in Orlando, I will definitely have to give White Lightning a ride and see what that Titan track does. Absolutely. I look forward to my visit as well. Well, as we think about ways to reach out to the British listening audience, I want to talk about another park with you, DJ. And that is Universal Studios Hollywood. I don't quite know how we're going to tie it in to the United Kingdom, but we'll... We'll play it by ear as we go and see if we can do it. Let's try and it. That is Universal Studios Hollywood. We're talking about it because there are signs of life going on in the park, in the studios. And that is the tram tour, which is they've they, there have been tram spotted cycling through the back lot. And there are many reasons why this could be happening. All the engines and well, the motors in these trams they do have to be run consistently as with a car or something like that to keep it in operating condition. But if we think about Screamscape, a, a great news aggregator for the industry, they have speculated that this could be to something more, that they could be preparing these trams for operation with actual guests in an attempt to operate the hour-long tram tour at Universal Studios Hollywood as a separate experience from the theme park and find a way to operate under the current state restrictions in California. I think that's, that's very plausible. Um, as of this recording, it's November 8th now, um, they are starting to um, drop some of those restrictions. They're not what I think the, that the state hoped for, the operators in those states. Um, but I don't see any reason why um, that would be something that, that wouldn't be doable. Um, mm -hmm. It seems from the hubbub that, that you're talking about and that I've seen is that this doesn't seem like routine maintenance work by any, by any regards. Right. If we think back to maybe a year or so ago about Universal Studios Hollywood, there was a survey set out to people that caused quite a bit of commotion. It was asking if people would want to experience the studio tour tram ride as a separate experience from the park. And at the time, it was sort of implying that this would be an upcharge attraction in addition to the theme park. Mm -hmm. But Screamscape is speculating, and I am thinking about this, where it could be the other way, where there are tourists in Hollywood who would love to ride the studio tram tour like they have at Warner Brothers, but they don't want to buy a whole day theme park ticket. Mm -hmm. This is potentially a way to segment the experience just a little bit to get people that wouldn't spend enough for a whole day at the park at Universal Hollywood, but do want that tram tour experience and are willing to pay for it. I think you see this at multiple parks too with uh, maybe senior citizens who who they say, well, I want to go to the park for other reasons. I, I can't ride the rides. They want to, uh, you know, uh, not as an expensive normal ticket or maybe a wristband system or maybe they really just enjoy the, the, the shopping or maybe you have someone who, who physically just isn't able to ride, but they still like the atmosphere. Um, 
this seems to be on that same vein of experience. At the same time, we'll go back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier. <laughs> if we're talking about an upsell, I could definitely see this being a pipeline to just increasing ticket sales in general. Like, hey, you know, the tour was fun. You've enjoyed seeing how it's done. Now here's your opportunity to be a part of it. Then offering some sort of discounted admission to the park or come back next day sort of admission ticket. I like the way you think. <laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah, I just, I just think from, you know, uh, just personally, there's folks in my family who they don't really enjoy that experience. Either they think that it's not worth the money to go to the park or they just don't think they'll have a good time. Could be a very good way to dip their toes in uh, to the whole amusement park realm, especially if there's maybe a movie at this park that's being produced or in the surrounding vicinity, I should say. I think it's an awesome idea. And at the same time, I'm sure it does cause some commotion, but if it is an, an added value experience, of course they're going to drop their line wait times and probably uh, the, just the amount of trams they need to run. I've Again, I said this earlier, I've not been to the California park, so I don't know how this tour works, um, but I assume that it could either draw some hefty lines or they have to be running some trams all day long. Let me enlighten you, DJ. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. I loved the studio tour at Universal Studios Hollywood. It was an attraction that I rode twice when I was there in one day. It's an hour-long tour that when you get to the station there, you do have to wait in a line, but it moves fast because at least in 2019, not in 2020, they were just packing people in five to a row, I think at least five tram cars. It oh. was maybe upwards of 100 people in each tram. And it was just tram after tram, constantly loading people. For someone who appreciates capacity like me, it was very interesting to watch. I was very entertained, even just waiting in line. Well, and it's pretty obvious now, but, and just real quick, it's pretty obvious now, but if, if the park were to open with all these restrictions and social distancing, that'd be very hard to do nowadays. Yes, they would have to definitely change the loading experience for the trams because like many roller coaster trains it's pretty close with the people in front and behind you so they would have to figure that out but i i do know that they have to already be thinking about that and working on how to operate under these new restrictions with the tram it starts with this beautiful drive down a long road where there's all these movie posters going through time where it goes through the 30s and the 40s and the 50s, all the way to today. And then you see all the huge sound stages. You see different angles of the rides in the lower lot, like Jurassic World, River Adventure, and the Transformers, the ride 3D, Revenge of the Mummy, and soon-to-be Nintendo World. I saw Nintendo World construction when I was there. And then you just drive by all these iconic sets. Like for when I was there, they had the European street dressed for the good place, which I, I'd watched most of that show. So that was very interesting to see for me. Also seeing scenes from Westworld and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where I'd watch it and say, hey, that's the Universal Hollywood backlot. For a nerd like me, that was a very gratifying thing to feel. <laughs> and in addition to all of these iconic sets and these huge buildings for the backlot, you drive through attractions that there's an incredible history if you read about it or watch YouTube videos about it, where they've had attractions as part of the tram tour since it began in the 60s. They had the wow. sort of the flash flood area in the Mexican town where that's been in a ton of movies now, but they just run it every five minutes when the tram rolls through. <laughs> and it's really interesting to see. You also go through Jaws, where Universal uh, Orlando lost their Jaws attraction. Universal Hollywood right. still has a version of it, where it drives through a lake where it used to be a Moses-themed attraction, maybe for the okay, Ten Commandments, yep. something like that. Yep. But then they rep repurposed it for Jaws. Unfortunately, when I wrote it, that was closed for refurbishment, so I saw the empty lake basin for it. But it's uh, next time I go, I, I do look forward to riding 
some experience of Jaws, because you know I've dreamed about it. We talked about last episode <laughs> where I dreamed about riding Jaws, or a version of it at least, at Universal Studios Japan. You have the Jaws ride, and then you have the new attractions that have been added in the last 10 years or so as part of the tram tour, and that is Confrontation 3D and Fast and Furious Supercharged. These two attractions have been ported (laughs) over to Universal Orlando, and it's interesting because you look at something like Skull Island, Reign of Kong, and Islands of Adventure, it's just the tram that they've rebuilt. They have made it more of an attraction. I was pleasantly surprised when I wrote it. It wasn't simply just going through the immersion tunnel and seeing Kong save you from a Tyrannosaurus Rex. It was a little bit more than that. Uh, They had a huge Kong animatronic, so they did make it a more rounded-out attraction. But the vehicles that you were on, they were essentially the studio tram, but dressed differently. And that was very (laughs) entertaining for me to see. I will say I have not yet had the pleasure, the distinct pleasure I've heard it is, to ride Fast and Furious Supercharged in Orlando, but someday I hope to ride it as well. <laughs> well, you so, tell me how that goes, because uh, I've, I've gotten all I need out of that attraction, I will tell you. <laughs> I will say, when I think about the studio tram... As, a, as a car person, just real quick, as a car person, yeah. the, the queue in Fast and Furious Orlando is awesome. Like, love cars, love being in the garage, but the ride just leaves a lot. A lot to be asked for. Continue. <laughs> well, when I think about the Universal Hollywood tram tour and these added attractions to it, I would still love this attraction, this tram tour experience, even if it didn't have Kong and Fast and the Furious, because it drives through all of these amazing things and it's different every time. It has a live spieler in the front of the tram. It has a video monitors in each tram vehicle as well. So it, they show you clips of movies that were filmed right, while you're, what, right where you're driving by as well. There's the courthouse scene from Back to the Future. I could go on and on about it. It is the best thing at Universal Studios Hollywood. And I will say that it is one of the best theme park attractions ever built because it's so iconic, and it shows you so much. Wow. That's, that's lofty to say. I don't doubt you, but wow. I just wanted to say about the, the, the tram tour real quick, what's so fascinating to me, and this is just my own ignorance, I just thought, you know, we're at Hollywood, it's like, you know, see how the movies are made. I just thought that was a little bit, yeah, okay. But it's really cool to hear that they're actually doing things when, when you're going through this tram tour, that they are shooting real movies. Yes. There were even times when I wrote it, the two times I wrote it, one of the times the uh, live spieler at the front of the tram said, all right, everybody, don't say anything. We're about to drive past a live set (laughs) where they were filming a a daytime talk show for home cooking or something like that. (laughs) So he turned off his mic. He told us to zip it, and we drove by it very slowly so the motor didn't run loud. (laughs) Wow, I love that. Well, as we close up the talk on Universal Studios Hollywood, I want to add a little bit of an interesting thought that this isn't any speculation that I've gotten anywhere from anyone. It's just something that I have discovered recently and has gotten me thinking, DJ. Mm, What is that? Well, pull up the blueprint that I supplied to you for Universal Studios Hollywood. Okay, looking at that now. Okay. Now locate Kirk Douglas Drive. For those following Uh along at home, I don't have the blueprint for you, unfortunately. Uh, I'll try to be as descriptive as possible. Uh (laughs) Kirk Douglas Drive, that is the long Uh driveway where it goes past all of the iconic uh, movie posters at the beginning of the tram tour. Now, can you walk in this area? Oh, no, this is now... I guess it's backstage area if we were using Disney terminology. We're backstage when we're on the tram tour. Uh, we are firmly enclosed in our studio okay. trams. So forgive but, me, folks at home, but it looks like you, you, if you wanted to go over this, there's some sort of walkway that goes above it. Right, this is just a, a road that is part of the functioning uh, studios at Universal okay. Hollywood. 
Okay. As we go down Kirk, Dove, Kirk Douglas Drive, it encircles the Jurassic World River Adventure um, uh-huh. outline. Uh-huh. Are you seeing that, that, DJ? Uh-huh. I see the splash pad or splash pool there, show building. Yeah. Now, across the road from that is uh-huh. Soundstage 12, also known as the Jack Foley stage. Jack Foley. Yep, yes. see it there. This blueprint is from January of 2018, I believe. Uh, stage 12 is where they filmed The Voice since its beginning up until this year. A wow. hit NBC show. I've never really watched it. I don't understand it. <laughs> but it's where they filmed it. It's one of the largest sound stages on property. Mm-hmm. It's no more. It's gone. It's kaput. Huh. Completely so, leveled, flattened. That got me thinking. Wow. If Stage 12... They relocated the voice. They have demolished one of the largest sound stages on property. Mm-hmm. It's it is right very large. next to Jurassic World. Hmm. Correct. It's also Correct. pretty close to where there's going to be Nintendo World in the lower lot. Mm-hmm. Now, sure, they might have to relocate Kirk Douglas Driver or reroute it somewhere, but that's no stranger to the tram tour. They're always changing the route for it. I wonder if in the demolition of Stage 12, that's making room for future theme park expansion. Sure, I could just be grasping at straws here, but it's just something I'm thinking about. It makes sense because, at least this is why I think it's plausible, you look at all the other places they they could tear a building down, let's say, to, to do something, um, it seems like there would have been other choices. So I think that's very interesting you're pointing that out, looking at this blueprint, at how close indeed it is to these other lands and the theme park itself. Right, and they could just be rebuilding it as another soundstage. Another interesting fact about Stage 12, it was the first purpose-built soundstage ever. Wow. So it was okay. incredibly historic very old Fe- feasibly that also means that it was maybe out of date when it comes to amenities mm-hmm. so maybe that's something that they just needed to replace or maybe it could be something on the theme park side because i mean just look at this blueprint of universal studios hollywood the theme park is entirely built out <laughs> i know you haven't been there mm-hmm. but it is such there's, a strange no layout <laughs> that they make use of every nook and cranny of land that they can find. They're building Nintendo World in the space of, it looks like, five smaller sound stages right next to Transformers the Ride. Mm-hmm. So they're making use of any land they could find. And uh, I just wonder. I say maybe that's room for future expansion. And it is also right next to Jurassic World when we think about all of the Jurassic World rides and and aspects that are in Universal Beijing. We look at the new coaster, the Velocicoaster, coming to Universal Orlando at Islands of Adventure. Which I just saw testing today. Yes, we did see testing videos. It looks amazing. It looks amazing. I think those so, are all valid points. I, I, if all the, you know, all the IPs are going to expand on, I think Jurassic World would be up there. Just because, like what you said, let's look at the other parks. What are they doing? It seems logical here. Yeah. So that is uh, just something I'm thinking about. Uh, maybe I'm starting a little bit of speculation, but I don't know if it'll <laughs> go anywhere. We'll just have to wait and see. Especially me, because <laughs> hopefully next year's the year where I will be able to say I've been here. Not yet. Mm. <laughs> 2021. That's the year. <laughs> that's right. So let's head back to the East Coast, DJ. Is that all right with you? I'm fine with that. More familiar. Oh. A little bit more familiar. <laughs> A little more humidity, but that's okay. (laughs) That's for sure. Well, we're heading back to the East Coast because there has been a photograph released about a new roller coaster coming to Orlando. Okay, so we're really headed back to the swamp in that case. (laughs) Yes. Back to the Everglades. Mm -hmm. And that is Mm -hmm. the coaster that is coming to Epcot, the experimental prototype community of tomorrow. Uh, probably the last major park, I would say, that doesn't have a roller coaster in any form. Uh-huh, right. Test Track is not a roller coaster. <laughs> no, it is not. Yeah. So that they're is finally true getting... on this podcast. Yes. 
they're finally getting a roller coaster proper in the form of Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind that was originally supposed to open in 2021. Now it's looking like 2022 from what we've been hearing. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're talking about the photo that was released that gives us a look into the actual trains. While previously we had seen blueprints and, and renderings of these roller coaster trains, now we're getting a look at the real thing. Yeah, they, they definitely look uh, pretty retro, um, kind of like these lightning bolt design on the front of it. Um, I, I don't know if Zephyr's the right word. It makes me think of a Zephyr style uh, sort of I attraction. think that thematically the actual vehicle is something from Xandar, which from the first Guardians movie, where it has that sort of sun uh, starburst design. I think they're Xandarian star vehicles, something like that, um, that, is, that people will board when they ride Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind. I've seen the first movie. Um, you know, haven't seen a lot of it. Uh, interesting, interesting thing here, though. And I know we're talking about the train, but wanted to ask you, as someone who enjoys Disney much more than I do, do you think this really fits into Epcot? I had seen the construction of this ride, and I was excited. Uh, a couple of years ago, and then the person I was with told me, oh yeah, that's the Guardians of the Galaxy roller coaster. And I was kind of like, really? DJ, you have asked me to open up the largest can of the worms that are just wriggling around, they're covered in dirt. <laughs> that's the can that you've opened. I don't You're think You're asking it me about... That's, that's, that's my own opinion. <laughs> As someone, have, as someone who doesn't love Disney as much as you, I just... I wouldn't say I love Disney. I just think they do good parks. <laughs> I just don't know if it fits. And I'd like to hear your opinion. I think the Ratatouille ride fits well. I even think Test Track fits well. I mean, just of what it is. Obviously, there's like a lot of, you know, GMs really involved with that. General Motors of theming it out. And there's a lot of commercialization to it. But this one just doesn't fit with me. And to, to see now also the Tron light cycle ride going to magic kingdom behind space mountain. That doesn't make much sense to me. The original concept for Epcot was dead before the park opened. True. And then the concept that the park opened with in 1982, I'd say that probably died just a few years, years ago. ago. Okay. Just a few. Well, maybe it, maybe it died when the Wonders of Life Pavilion just closed and sat shuttered for decades. <laughs> but what, 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 what is that? I, just just it so was I an know, entire this is how unfamiliar I am. The park that had a simulator ride, which I think it was the first application of technology that would lead to star tours okay. with the, the motion vehicle like that. Mm -hmm. uh, it had an educational mission with an entertainment delivery that was Epcot. There was nutritional rides and shows, and you could spend a lot of time looking on YouTube on old Epcot, but old Epcot is dead and gone. And for better or for worse, we are now getting intellectual properties that bring Epcot to a different mission, which is entertain number one <laughs> and not really any education you look at what they announced for epcot for uh, i think it was at d23 in 2019 where they were calling it world discovery world showcase world celebration as a way to try to retcon the changes that are being made i am not a disney purist i am not someone that cries when something changes, or when they move a bench. Okay. That's not me. Okay. I know a lot about Disney history because I have been face-to-face -face with it for a while. I have been very close to opening day attractions of Disneyland for a while, and so I can appreciate Disney history, but it's just that. It's history. Disney and the Disney parks are not a museum. And... What I'm saying here is not commenting on Disney as a corporation or Disney as a company as a whole. I have lots of other different thoughts about that. Right now, I'm just talking about Epcot. 
Because after all, this is a theme park podcast, isn't it, DJ? It really is. Are you getting Bring the feeling that point. you opened a can of worms? <laughs> <laughs> I am. I am. It's just I'll I'm continue trying to, to hear your story. I, I, we need to talk about the, the train. I just wanted to see if I could get your thoughts on that just because yeah. you, know, you, you, don't, you don't care about benches being moved. Great point you said about it. It's not a museum. It's a theme park. Um, but I just was curious what you thought. I just think it's strange. Is that I going have... to stop them from building this? No. Is it going to stop families from enjoying it? Nope. Right. I, like I said, I'm not a Disney purist. We had originally just put, hey, Guardians of the Galaxy Coast got new trains on the outline, but now we're getting into this, and now you can't stop me. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we know it, it's, I mean, we're not going to jinx it, but the amount of work they put into this stuff, it's going to be incredible. Yes. I think for Epcot, even though their original theme and mission is gone, it's, that's okay. It's a different park now. And I this think will be that, the best right there. No doubt. Yes, it will be the best ride in the park. Uh, it is a net gain for Epcot. I never had the chance to ride Universe of Energy. I think it was amazing that it was a 45-minute long attraction. Uh, <laughs> but I never got to ride it. And when I next go to Epcot, I have no idea when that'll be. When I next go, this is a gotta ride. This Absolutely. is a must-ride. I love coasters. And I guess there's a reason Epcot hasn't had a coaster until now. But now that they're getting one, that's two thumbs up from me. Let me try to close my ramblings on Epcot with a coherent statement, DJ. With Epcot, as I've said before in this conversation, its mission has changed. But I think its audience has changed as well. And this is what they're building for today's audience. It's going to be a great ride. It's going to be a great coaster. Well, it's not going to be GCI a great coaster. It's not going to be a wooden coaster. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a steel coaster. And we got a picture of the trains. That is what this part of the episode was going to be about. But then it got off the rails a little bit because I have a lot to say sometimes. <laughs> and I don't know if I made my point, but that's all I have to say. In the words of Forrest Gump, that's all I have to say about that. I think you took my, uh, my episode hot take that I've been doing. You could say that. You get, your, you get your own opinion, and that was on that. Well, I think I was due for one, I guess. I guess so. <laughs> it took this I many episodes so. for me to get out there. I guess so. Very Wait, true. we didn't figure out a way to tie in British people to this topic. Mm, okay. British people uh, want Epcot. There's going to be a UK section. There already is. Okay, we've done it. <laughs> it's one of my favorites at Food and Wine Festival, actually. Yeah. There was going to be a Mary Poppins walkthrough, ride, whatever, but now it's not <laughs> going to be. All right, let's move on. Well, let's move on to, you know, so a, lot of this, a lot of the things we've been saying, speculative, looking towards the future. Um, this, in a way, is that, but this, for a lot of people, actually... This is sad. This is uh, not something that uh, if you're uh, inundated or you're really involved with the amusement industry, uh, this is something you you never like to see uh, things like this, you know, inevitably happen. But I don't think we anticipated the level at which this is happening. And we're talking about four historic flat rides saying goodbye at Kennywood. And from what we understand... None of these are being sold to anybody. These are essentially being scrapped. Those are the Paratrooper, operating from 1976 to 2020. Mm. The Byron Curve. It had two lives at Kennywood, two different actual rides from 1994 to 2004. And then from 2009 to 2020, the Volcano, which was an enterprise from 1978 to 2020. And the kangaroo from 1964 to 2020. It's a quick moment of silence here. Okay. Well, I think, you know, most shocking to everybody is the kangaroo. Um, I have have been on the outside of Kennywood. I've been up against the property fence, but I've never been there. It was closed when I was in uh, Pittsburgh. 
That being said, um, I know what these rides are. Kangaroo is the one that folks seem to be missing the most because what I thought was the only one in the country, Chris, you're telling me it is the only ride of its type in the entire world. This was the last chance to experience a ride like this. Yeah, it was the last one left. Guests would just be on a spinning flat ride that was running on road wheels uh, around the motor, but there would be a spike ramp that launched the cars up and then they would then float back to the ground. It looked like amazing airtime, and it is no longer with us. Uh, imagine a, a more uh, airtime-inducing, really like an elephant's ride. Um, you come down at about the same speed, uh, but you get that nice pop right off of the ramp. Right. And some of these rides, like Volcano, they have modern counterparts from Enterprise-style rides by Zamperla and Hoos. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there are already... So many historic rides and coasters at Kennywood, but it's still sad to lose four of them, especially at once. And especially the kangaroo, where that's it for this experience. Maybe it'll be something like the flying turns that we get some way down the road. Something like Larson or Hoos or Zamperla figures out a way to make a modern version of this ride. Because you look at the kangaroo, listener, if you're unfamiliar with it, I would encourage you to look up a video of it. Just search Kennywood Kangaroo and look at the videos. It looks like a ride that probably had a good deal of maintenance (laughs) required to operate it because it looked pretty intense on all those moving parts. Yeah, it reminds me of rides like, you know, flying scooters um, where you're seeing, especially the ones at Knobles where lots of strain on, on cables. Or a ride like I believe they have one at Kennywood, where you're you're in this kind of moving car on these small wheels, and you whip around a turn. Uh, I can't remember what that one's called. It looks whip. it looks the whip. Yeah, it looks similar to that, where you see it and you're like, you know, wow, you can imagine this ride being in black and white film, you know, on yeah. some sort of history reel. Um, yeah, I'm sure the maintenance there was 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 huge. I, uh, the statement from the park, they briefly talk about how. You know, with everything going on, this just has to happen. We hope to be able to replace it with something else, but they just can't do it. So uh, they're just going to have to wait to replace it. Um, so, you know, that's that's sad, too. Um, and they're also, they've lost they've lost their log flume, too, from with Steel Curtain. So some old things going away. A good friend of mine brought up a point of, and he could be valid again. I don't know much about the area. Only been by the park once, but, you know, getting rid of these rides and replacing them with, you know, new awesome things. You know, Steel Curtain is has a great experience from what I understand. Most inversions um, in the United States. Um, but is it worth it to get rid of these older rides? You know, Kennywood was one of those places where it seemed like folks thought that, you know, old rides were appreciated. You could, you could experience some of that nostalgia. Um, then again, um, some rides that have been around for a while are starting to get that vintage status. So... Uh, maybe this is just the course of time. Just it's 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 happening. Well, it's sort of like Blackpool Pleasure Beach, and uh-huh. yes, this is a way for me to tie it in for yes. our imaginary British listeners. <laughs> Blackpool and Kennywood are parks that have such a historical basis. Blackpool is one of the most major operating seaside pier parks in the United Kingdom, and Kennywood is one of these. Uh, end of the trolley line parks that forgot to die. And it was a park that the trolley company would build at the end of the line to get people to ride all the way down and pay for that to get to Kennywood. That's the history of Kennywood, but it's a park that has grown into so much more than that, and the trolleys have fallen away. Kennywood is still here. Blackpool is still here. But they've kept so many of these historic rides like the Jack Rabbit or the Grand National that these these parks, both Blackpool and Kennywood, it's like visiting history. But remember what I said about Epcot, DJ. These parks are not museums. For better or for worse, they aren't museums, and change happens. For financial reasons, for thrill reasons, for improvement, for change, these parks are not museums, DJ. It's a very good point. And you think about, you know, you and I, people listening to this podcast, uh, 
people that are we're friends with in the industry, whether they work in it or not, we have a different appreciation of places like these, and they hold a different place in our hearts and our minds. But for the average person that visits a park, you know, once every two to three years with their friends, um, they're going to miss it most likely. But seeing the steel curtain or something equivalent, um, that's unfortunately, uh, we can say unfortunately, but also fortunately, that's where the money's at. And for these places to stay open, for them to keep attracting people year after year as a destination to visit, um, they've got to do that. And especially with a park uh, like Kennywood. That's exactly right. So that said, we're losing Kangaroo. Uh, we're losing uh, Volcano, the Enterprise, a very fast spinning ride. There's still plenty of Enterprises out there, so not a huge blow there. Um, and Paratrooper, um, I've never been on a ride like that, but there are also some that are still around, I believe. Um, looks like a fun experience to be able to say I've done it once. Um, but life goes on. That is exactly true. Life goes on. Time still turns. Now, speaking of time turning, we are in November, but it's already the Christmas season in many parks around the country and the world, DJ, including at Silver Dollar City in Dollywood. Certainly is. These are some of the biggest events, uh, any holiday events in really the whole country when it comes to um, theme parks and amusement parks. Both of these Hershen parks, they go all out. They, they do their very best with lights, huge amounts of lights, uh, different awards going to these parks. And of course, things have been different for both of these parks um, with different things happening and the situations going on. Uh, but it's good to see some, you know, a little bit of normalcy around this. Um, but also uh, seeing other parks being able to open too. We've talked about this in the past that this is still a great opportunity for, for parks to maybe even open up for the first time this whole year. And maybe the only opportunity might be during the holidays. And so these parks are definitely leading the way in that. You have multiple Cedar Fair parks going to open as well. Some Six Flags properties, too, going to do their holiday in the park events. Um, just a return to normalcy. And it'll be interesting to see how everything goes. You know, something about it, these lights, they just really warm my heart. Uh, hearing the carols, there's just something unique about it. And, and hopefully it'll be um, somewhat of, of, of familiarity for all of us in this very, very strange year of 2020. I have had the pleasure of visiting the uh, Christmas event at Silver Dollar City several times, including when they opened up Christmas in Midtown, adding, was it 6 million lights, DJ? Uh, I believe it was, uh, I think it was over a million they added in that area. It had to do, okay. I remember them talking about how it was, the square footage was the big deal. So not only was it a massive amount of lights, but in such a small, packed area concentration of lights, literally every surface is covered with lights. That is true. And they build up what, in the regular season, what is regularly a one-story building, they built up these frames that they add lights to to make it look like two-story buildings and even more with more kinetic sculptures or whatever to really make Christmas in Midtown and a lot of the other sections of Silver Dollar City, really an incredible light experience. They just seem to add something nearly every year that just, just ups the level to the experience. And the same with Dollywood. Um, Dollywood doesn't have a version of this yet. Uh, I'd be interested to see if maybe they would sometime in the future. Um, but of course, Dollywood has incredible shows. They have uh, their own version of uh, a Christmas tree that, that has projection on it. Um, their their event is also a great event in, in its own, and it's really interesting with how the parks are situated. You know, most people on the east eastern side of the state might have, or eastern side of the country might have no idea about Silver Dollar City and their event. And the same goes for people in the Midwest at Silver Dollar City; they might not know that Dollywood exists or that it even has a Christmas event as well. So it works out very well for both of the parks. And now I'm hungry for cinnamon bread. <laughs> you said it, DJ. So I don't know if I will be able to attend one of these Christmas events that are popping up at some parks. I know in the last episode, we talked about parks around the country that are finding a way to operate for the Christmas season under various restrictions. But it's, uh, it's definitely something that's good to see. If anything, I will take pleasure in the pictures that I see that people take about parks in 2020. That's a great way to look at it. And uh, 
well, it's it's that time again. I think we're about ready to wrap this up. Right. We had originally kicked around the idea of putting in a segment that we have been working on for weeks and weeks, and that is our Plan-A-Park segment for Cedar Point, where we look at the park, we look at what they've added and removed in the last decade, we look at where there might be room for improvement in the guest experience, and then we plan five or more years of the park. And we were going to choose Cedar Point first because, I mean, that's the park to start with. It has such a storied history, including in the last decade, and so much flexibility. I think, at least in my mind, so much flexibility in where they could go in the next decade. But, as you've said, DJ, we have started to run out of time. We really spent a lot more time on these subjects than I thought we would. Well, you got me started on Epcot, and I think that (laughs) that took a lot of the time. (laughs) But we will have to push that Plan a Park segment for Cedar Point to another episode. And that might be an episode entirely dedicated to Plan a Park, or it could just be thrown in with some other topics about things that we're thinking about. We will have to see. And you, listener, you will just have to wait as well. In the meantime, you can go ahead and subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast to make sure that when we do the Plan a Park segment for Cedar Point, that it gets delivered to your ears in a fast and efficient way. I think that's a safe thing to say, DJ, isn't it? I think so. I I love just having something delivered to me. Uh, If you're like me, you have a lot of podcasts you want to listen to. If you're not subscribed to it, it just gets lost in the mix and you fall behind. So definitely check us out on on Twitter. Uh, You can see when those episodes drop. Check us out on Anchor. We're also... That'll give you all of the access to all of our platforms. We're on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, really Google Podcasts, most likely anywhere that most people are watching podcasts. But be sure that you subscribe because you'll want to hear about this Plano Park that we do. Cedar Point's a great park for us to pick. People are familiar with it, and I'm really looking forward to talk about it and why I believe Jim and I will be gone in the next five years. And that's your team. We already used our hot take, DJ. Come on. (laughs) That's my hot take for the episode, but it's a preview of a hotter take on our Planet Park segment. I look forward to seeing what you might put in that spot, but again, we'll save that for another episode. DJ mentioned our Twitter and Instagram. We are Corkscrew Convos. The name of the show is the name of our username as well, so just search Corkscrew Convos, and that'll take you to it. If you also want to send a question to us on Gmail, or tell us about a recent experience you've had at the park, whatever you'd like to say. If you want to open a dialogue with us, mm-hmm. just send us an email at corkscrewconvos at gmail.com. If you are our first British listener, please let us know on Twitter and Instagram. Let us hear it if you are our first British listener. We'll let people know when we finally have one. <laughs> <laughs> but until then... If you figure out that you are the first one, let me be the first to congratulate you. DJ, I know you're going to be the second. Go ahead and congratulate him. Congratulations. See, now you got your congratulations from DJ, too. We don't have a prize for you except this show. We would like to thank you for being the first British listener. God save the Queen. And I hope that you have a good day. I don't know if, I mean, you know, we might not have a prize now, but send us an email and then we'll know. Then we can think of you in the future. Yes, we will think of you in the future. But until next time, my name is Chris. And I'm DJ. And this has been another Corkscrew Convo. Thanks for listening.